Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host for the Post Money Plan Podcast. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought on topics within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so in this episode, I wanted to address some of the follow-on to what's happened with Hurricane Harvey in Houston. Now that it's been about two and a half months since Hurricane Harvey, I just was thinking about some of the impacts that it's had on the real estate market and the housing situation here in Houston, thinking about all the houses that have been gutted and all the remodeling that's going to have to take place. I uh, wanted to find out a little bit more about that. So I reached out to my friend David Weaver, who's in the real estate market here in Houston, and wanted to bring him on the show. So welcome to the show, David. Thanks for having me, Dallas. What was your experience in Harvey? Well, I was fortunate enough to not sustain any flooding damage at my house, personally. I will tell you that the neighborhood right next to mine did flood. Some of the drains weren't properly cleared, and because of the amount of rainfall we received over such a short period of time, where I'm located, near Timber Grove, that area actually did flood. And shortly thereafter, as you're driving through the streets, you'll see people had, had gutted their homes and a bunch of drywall and furniture that had been destroyed in the flood. Yeah, it was crazy going around after, for a month with our church, going out and getting homes and sending teams out to homes. They said our church alone did a thousand homes. Right. <laughs> Which right. is just crazy to think how many that would mean throughout the city. And the unfortunate part is there was, well, there was a lot of help and there's a lot of work still to be done. Over 130,000 homes were dramatically affected by this. And now we're in the rebuilding phase where you see a lot of contractors out of houses, putting in new sheetrock, people going and purchasing new furniture, just rebuilding their homes in the wake of this disaster. So tell me a little bit about your background in real estate. Sure. Actually, I got into real estate with no background experience. I just wanted to do something. Yep. That's what I told the lady when I met her on an airplane when she asked me to interview. I said I had no experience and she said, perfect. That's what we like. So uh, I jumped into it for the purpose of us, it being an entrepreneurial opportunity. So really see what you can make of yourself on your own. I mean, I joined a team. It's the Loken Group. We are a Keller Williams team. We operate primarily in the northwest side of town. However, we are dramatically expanding. Our team is about 60 people. And my focus on the team is to work with production home builders across the city. Some of the major ones that I work with are Long Lake KB Home, Beezer Homes and Century Communities. And you're doing brokerage? Yeah, great. So what we do or what my team does is we market their homes for them. We're a low-cost alternative to market their homes on a professional basis on the MLS. And then we service a lot of their clients that have homes to sell to make sure that they can get their homes sold in time so they can buy the new home. So primarily new construction represented on the MLS and also there to help out their clients when they do meet someone that needs to sell a house in order to buy. So you kind of have your ear to the ground in the real estate market and got a sense for what was going on on a regular basis, but then saw the impacts right away from Harvey? A hundred percent. Well, you know, builders, of course, their building costs are going to increase because of just the supply, the shrinking supply of sheetrock and materials and also labor. So that's number one, definitely. And new construction, actually, for most part, it didn't flood. So it's an obvious move for lots of people that were affected or even for the people that weren't affected that are just scared now. A lot of people are leaning towards new construction because primarily the way that they're built and developed, 
the drainage system is better in those communities. Okay. So walk us through some of the basics of the dynamics of the housing market in a place like Houston. What are the factors that are impacting the prices of houses, whether people want to buy or sell? Like what, what is influencing these things? Sure. Primarily the largest driver for in the past, what we've seen is Houston has been much of a, a relocation destination. It's a very friendly business climate just because of the no state income tax and just cost of living here. So throughout the past three, four years that I've been living here, I've seen quite a few new businesses move in as well as the existing businesses expand. For example, technology companies are coming in to Houston as well as healthcare. I mean, healthcare has been here for a while, but as you'll notice everywhere you look in different parts, whether it's the Woodlands, the Med Center, even out in the Energy Corridor area, you'll see a lot of new hospitals opening up. And obviously that creates a demand for nurses and healthcare technicians and whatnot. Unfortunately, oil has been down for the last two, two and a half years. So while the market is still performing well year over year and it's still growing, we are operating without our largest sector really booming and really bringing in new people. That goes to show that Houston has diversified quite a bit from where it used to be 20, 30 years ago, all oil-centric. And when you'd have a, an oil recession, it'd really be hurting. Right, right. Definitely a boomer bust town back in the 90s, for sure, and before that, and even early 2000s. But this, the city and the, and the local government have gotten smart about encouraging other businesses to come in, and it's definitely weathered this storm in terms of the real estate market and just keeping people employed. This is kind of tangential, but you mentioned about like the, the size of the medical complex or the energy corridor where like all these similar type businesses are concentrated. I used to think it was funny growing up, I'd go into town. This is over in Saudi Arabia. We'd go into town and they'd have the tech district where you'd have all the electronic shops all on the same street. You basically have the areas where they'd have all the same businesses all together. And I always thought that was funny from like a competition standpoint, because you think, why would you want to be next to your competitors? And then they're potentially right. taking your sales. But there's the opposite effect, though, too, potentially, because if you have all of them all in one place, it then attracts more people to come there because they know that's where all that is. And I even think of that from Austin, where like 6th Street with bars, you would think that they're kind of consuming each other's sales. But because there's so many bars in one place, right. all the students go there because that's the one place to go. Very different comparison, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I can see what you're saying, 100%. It also brings in the best doctors as well when you have all of them competing and located in the same place. Obviously, when you have competition, you have better care, and that's great for the end consumer. Yeah. Then you, you have the supply side of people coming in, building houses, and then there's homes on the market. And then you have the demand side where if you have a good economy, then that's actually attracting people from other places to move into Texas, which I guess is what you were kind of alluding to a minute ago. There's just a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs and uh, corporations to come in here and expand. For example, while ExxonMobil, obviously it's oil and gas, it's not the busiest of times. They're bringing in it was some type of company. I forget the name. I'd have to look it up. They merged with a company and it's um, bringing their headquarters here and it's an extra, I think, 1,500 employees. So not only do you have that massive campus up in the woodlands of what they say to be about 10,000 employees once it's fully built out, but an additional now 1,500 coming in because of Houston just being a great place to own and operate a business. Then obviously you have the impact of mortgage rates, right? 
how has that been over the last couple of years? Because mortgage rates have been so low compared to historical norms. Has that had an impact on the Houston market that you're aware of? Or what do you see? I think that the rates, while the rates have been low, they've been low for such a long time. I, I am somewhat fearful that people are getting used to four, four and a quarter or sub four in some cases. Obviously, that's been kept low in my personal opinion, artificially for quite a long period of time. It'll be interesting to see what happens when the rates do go up. There's already been early indications that they have, and they have increased slowly. It'll be interesting to see where it ends up. I don't have a crystal ball, so you know I really don't know, but that'll obviously impact people's purchasing power. And as that affects people's purchasing power, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the prices on, on homes and how much if homes will stabilize in price um, or if they'll start to come down a little bit because people's money will be essentially worth less with a higher interest rate. Yeah. Everyone thinks like, oh, interest rates must go up in the future. But in the end, like you say, we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know where they will go. But we do know that they do have an impact on demand. Of course. Because if interest rates are low, it's easier to borrow because you have less interest to pay. Of course. And if they're higher, then it's harder to borrow because you have more interest to pay. Right. 100%. 100%. I just purchased a house this year or this past year. And I want to say that like, half of my payment is interest over the life of the loan. And my rate is three and three quarters, 3.75. So it's just even on a, on a rate like that, if you look at it over the life of the loan, how much extra you're paying just because of interest, yeah. it's kind of a scary number. Well, that's going to amortize over time, right? So you start out paying a lot of interest in your payments, and then eventually you're paying more principal and less interest. Right. So in the first year, first few years are primarily mostly interest. You do get to write that off. If you're, uh, if you're living there. If you're itemizing. Correct. Yeah, if you're itemizing, then you got to be living there. On your tax return. Right. So that's definitely a great benefit. And a lot of people take advantage of that, as they should. You know, when you look at the true cost of buying a home, if you take into account what you can write off from a property tax standpoint, and then also from the interest standpoint, it's really a much better deal than the initial sticker shock that you look at. Myself, personally, I have a roommate, so he pays for part of my mortgage, which is nice. Yeah, that's a big thing. People don't really take into account having a roommate. I mean, like even if you buy a house, you can still rent out a room. People kind of think, oh, okay, I'm either a renter or I buy a house and it's just mine. Right. People don't think about like, oh, okay, if I buy a house, I could still like rent right. and, or share through that. Right. And you say effectively what you're paying after your write-offs. If your home is increasing in value, you know, on average, it's about, let's just say three to 5% a year stay 4% a year, you know, for every $100,000 that your home is worth, you're getting 4000 extra in terms of equity. You're not, ex you're not going to see that until you sell the house down the road. But of course, that effectively makes your real payment look less, which is nice. So that's just something else to take into account. Whatever your mortgage payment is per month is not necessarily that final number because of the write-offs and appreciation of the asset. So real estate is really a great way especially when you have low rates like we do right now, it's definitely a great way to build wealth for the future. We're probably too young to know or to have observed the full impact of this, but I do wonder how the generational shift of the way people our age are, are living and starting out their careers and starting more in debt is affecting homeownership and also the cultural shift. Instead of growing up and dying in the same town, you go to college and you go to the place where the job is. And, right. and people our age were getting married later. 
We're also being a lot more mobile and we're going kind of where the jobs are. So that means people are shifting cities a lot of times. And that, I would think, has a lot, a big impact on something like homeownership. You're kind of geographically planting roots, which is a little bit contrary to that lifestyle. Right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This generation, the millennial generation, definitely approaches the real estate transaction and the place in which they live differently than on you know their parents' generation. If you look around different places in the loop now, they have these huge, beautiful mega apartment complexes that has everything there for you. It's got a beautiful resort-style pool. It's got a very nice state-of-the-art gym. It's got different club rooms that you can rent out. And it's got all these very nice amenities that are taken care of for you. It and just it's... reminds me, have you seen the South Park in Soto Sopa? Have you seen that one? No. no you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you explain that to the audience. <laughs> well, it's, it's just basically making fun of all the urban areas that have gentrified previously bad areas with these trendy complexes right. and things that you're talking about. It's very like yuppie and and kind of a little bit stuck up. <laughs> right. But, it, you know, it for someone moving into a new town, you know, a lot of people that, that are living here are, are from all over because they came here for job opportunities. And like you said, they're not necessarily looking to plant roots because their career could say that they're going to be somewhere else in two or three years. So for them, buying a house is the last thing they're thinking of. Getting into a cool apartment complex that has an awesome resort pool and a gym and house is something that's very appealing to them. So you see a lot of a lot of those, which unfortunately, the, the unfortunate thing about that is the more apartment complexes that you build like that, those are expensive. And so the affordability factor for the city decreases rapidly because what you're starting to do is you're replacing apartments that don't have all of that are just places to live with places like that. And it's more more difficult to, to afford. So you end up spending more money on rent and whatnot. That's the, uh, I guess, negative consequence of that. From your experience and what you know about closing costs and those kind of things, what is your opinion on the minimum amount of time that someone would want to be owning a home before they're selling it? Uh, That's a great question. Closing costs end up being about 3% of the home that you're buying. Now, are you talking about on the purchase side of the transaction or the sales side of the transaction? I'm sorry, that's the purchase side. When you sell a house, one of your biggest costs when you sell a house is the realtor. Traditionally, it's 6%, so that you definitely want to be taking that into account. You pay 3% to the selling agent and then also 3% to the agent that procures the buyer. And then there's also other fees that are going to be required to pay. Not sure the exact amount on that. It varies depending on the situation, which lender you use and also how much your house is. But a lot of people do, both when purchasing and selling, forget the amount that they have to pay in closing costs up front. That's something that a good lender, you'd want to get with a good lender on to make sure that you're prepared for that. Because the true cost of getting into a home is more than just your down payment. It's your down payment plus your appraisal fee plus origination fees if you have them, processing fees, underwriting fees, taxes for the rest of the year, homeowner's insurance, It's a number of things that end up requiring you to bring quite a bit of money to the closing table. Now, if you buy a new home, a lot of those closing costs are absorbed by the builder, depending on what kind of promotion they run. However, on the resale side, most of the time, the buyer is responsible for that. So then I guess that makes it kind of complicated to have a straightforward answer of like, okay, you need to own, like if you're going to think about owning a home for less than three years, it's not worth it kind of thing. Well, the challenge with that is typically, you know, with the fees that you pay 
your closing cost fees. I think it's actually about a percent to 2% plus the realtor fee. So you're looking at seven to 8%. I mean, you have to have made that much money on your home to essentially the, the house price right, or have invested that much to break even on selling the house. Now you don't want to lose the amount of money that you initially put in up front. So if you put in it's an FHA, you put in three and a half percent or conventionally you put in 20%, you want to make sure that you're at least retaining that. But it is very difficult. In my experience, it's very difficult for them to do better than breaking even in less than two years time. In some cases, three years. Yeah. Okay. Because you're paying a lot of interest up right, there, right? right? You're right. not, you're just giving that away and property taxes, which you always have to pay, but a lot of it's the interest. The tricky thing in my mind is that so much of that is going to be dependent on how the house prices are behaving. Of course. If they're appreciating super fast, obviously, like you can make money even with the transaction cost quickly, but maybe they don't go up really fast and then it, it would take even longer. Right. And, and it just depends on, look, no one has a crystal bar when they're buying their home, but you can buy at the height of the market and then you try to sell three years later and maybe business isn't as good. You know, that's what our, a lot of people are experiencing right now because 2000, let's just say 2014 and 13, oil was great, right? And a lot of people moved in because the oil companies were hiring a lot of people to come in. And so they were buying houses in droves and then demand was super high and prices were up. Well, now fast forward three years later, oil hasn't rebounded yet. When as, everyone was expecting it to. Right. And you're trying to sell your house and you're selling it for what you bought it for three years ago. So not only are you essentially all the money that you were paying to pay it down, the equity, you're not getting any of that. And then plus you have fees that we talked about earlier, the closing cost fees and the realtor fees. So it's just something to keep in mind um, when you buy a house. It's not as easy as just showing up, signing a few papers and walking away with the keys. There's definitely, you definitely want to be well-educated with a really good real estate agent as also a really good lender to make sure that you're financially set up. All right, with that in mind, in the context of Harvey, what have you witnessed in terms of the short-term impacts that Harvey has had on the real estate market here in Houston, in terms of supply, demand, pricing, rebuilding, all, all that stuff? Great. So yeah, supply initially right off the bat was down, as you would expect. People aren't rushing to put their homes back on the market, and a lot of people are just trying to figure out what they're going to do. The following few weeks after, after Harvey, new listings were down over 50%. So 50%. 50%, right. You know, people aren't putting their homes on the market. I think it was 63. I think the week after was 63.8% from that week a year ago. So obviously that would make sense because people are, they're just trying to pick up the pieces. Whether or not they were affected, maybe they're helping out a family member or a friend. As we've gotten into some weeks following, we have seen people purchase new homes. They're just trying to get, they look, they're just like walking away from their existing home they're going to sell it as is and, and get into a new home. We've seen some of that. Primarily right now, what we're seeing are people fixing up their homes. They're getting their checks. FEMA, insurance, whatever the situation is, obviously FEMA still hasn't paid out all the money. There's there's still different cases going on there. Have you heard much about that in terms of like insurance claims coming in, FEMA? Mm -hmm. It's all starting to come in. People are starting to get their money now. Homes are starting to be rebuilt. The challenge is uh, the labor we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but the materials, because they're in higher demand, are going to go up in price, and there's not really as much supply for them. Same thing with sheetrock guys, especially contractors, subcontractors, 
all of those um, individuals are are working around the clock right now, and they got so much business. And you're talking about all the remodeling of homes right. that damaged, right? right? And 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 that, but that what the, what that does is when you're fixing up a house and everything's in demand and short supply, the prices go up. So not only are you trying to fix up a house that flooded in a neighborhood where other homes flooded, and you can expect now probably the the values of your neighborhood to be affected. But it's also costing you more now than it was costing you pre-flood to just fix up your house. I think an interesting dynamic, especially in the short term, is that if you didn't have relief from insurance and FEMA, you would obviously see house prices plummet because, you know, there'd be lots of damaged houses that are literally less valuable and having less worth. And you'd, you would also have people who had stuff destroyed and they're having to spend money on different things that they, they're having to divide their money in more places. So people have less liquidity to invest in a home or, or whatever. So to me, that would signal that you would have a crash in prices. But then you take the outside influences of insurance claims and FEMA and you're injecting that cash into the market. That kind of provides some liquidity, I think, and also some buoyancy to prices and demand. But like you say, you can't just out of nowhere create additional supply of sheetrock and cement and uh, wood and, and labor for all the remodeling. So that's the organic part that I'm sure all the remodeling businesses will go through a huge boom here in the short term over the, from Harvey going through six, 12 months. Right. It's not about, and I don't want this to come across, I, I'm not saying that contractors are price gouging because they're not, or photo I'm seeing, but the amount that they're having to pay for the materials has gone up just because they sure. have to buy it from somewhere, right? Anytime there's a short supply, a shorter supply of something and demand increases like it did, their prices, just natural market prices are going to cause things to increase in price. Like I know for builders, um, not only are build times slowing down because of materials and there's delays there, but also because prices for the materials have gone up and the amount of workers aren't as readily available as they were before, prices are starting to increase for new construction homes. And I would imagine you'll see the same thing for someone to repair their home, the cost of repairing their home is going to increase. I don't know if you know this, but Diego is in home renovation. Right, Florin. He said he's just been crazy busy, right. going all over the place. And he's having trouble on his labor side of having enough people staffed to go out and do stuff. Right. It's a great problem to have, but nonetheless a problem. Right, right. It's going to take a while for Houston to fully recover. And I don't think it's going to be a mass movement all at once. I think there's going to be groups of people moving consistently over the next six months to a year as they make the decision on what they're going to do. A lot of people are going to fix up their home and ultimately stay. A lot of people are going to fix up their home and ultimately move. A lot of people didn't even bother any of that, just sold their home as is and took whatever insurance money they could get. It's not going to be a big wave all at once. You mentioned about listings being down in the beginning, but how about pricing of houses? And has that been different depending on the area, whether it was on a floodplain or above a floodplain? Well, of course, if it was in a floodplain or if it experienced flooding, I mean, keep in mind, a lot of homes that experienced flooding weren't in any floodplain. Once they released the waters from the reservoirs, they flooded, right? So yeah, if any anything flooded and there's damaged homes in the neighborhood, it's going to affect the values. And when that happens... And there's a greater supply, so now more homes are in that same neighborhood that are on the market. 
So what does the seller have to do in order to get more people to look at their home? They're going to have to lower the price to make it more competitive. So in those neighborhoods, going to unfortunately probably drive down the prices. Now, the amount to which that happens is going to be different every neighborhood. I've heard, I've heard people say anywhere between 10 and 20%, depending. Like immediately or forecasted into the future? As they go on sell now, 10 to 20%. Now, wow. that's not a rule. You know, every situation is different. But as we meet with our clients and we go through the numbers, we are just to level set expectations and kind of what they can expect. We're saying, hey, this is what we're seeing out there. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty su- it, It's not surprising, but also kind of shocking at the same right. time. It's, it's shocking. It's, and it's very unfortunate. You know, no one, you really can't plan for something like this and was a crazy storm and definitely very sad. And it, we're going to see the the negative consequences of this uh, hurricane for, for years to come. Good thing, you know, as we all saw, the city came together. Like, like I've never seen a city come together yeah, before. Yeah. And I'm not from Houston. I'm not um, a Texan originally, but I was definitely proud to be here during that time. It was awesome yeah, yeah, watching definitely. everybody chip in and, and seeing all the people that weren't involved at all coming from different areas, different states helping out as well. I thought that was super cool. So it's nice to see something cool, positive in the news amidst a tragedy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you saw that with the World Series that everyone was like kind of tying those two ends of the, the story together and people feeling good about that. Well, I'm a Dodger fan, so, <laughs> you know, for me, I'm really happy for the city, I guess. Consolation prize, go Astros. How about the other flip side of the coin? You, the areas that received a lot of flooding... They're seeing a drawdown in, in home prices, but how about areas that didn't see any flooding through even such a bad storm? Are they seeing, or do you think they will see in the future, increased demand and then potentially higher pricing going forward? You know, I, I, I tell you that a lot of people had that thought right after the hurricane. We had sellers that were like, hey, well, I want to increase the price of my house now. We're, we're not going to price gouge. It's illegal to do that. But I think naturally, natural market forces will probably make certain areas more desirable um, that didn't flood, obviously. And then as we talked about earlier, like new construction, it didn't flood. And also the prices to build a home now have gone up. So prices will go up. That's, you know, just generally what happens when the weather essentially picked out, for lack of better words, winners and losers of different markets. Yeah, different subdivisions. Because certain subdivisions, like by my office, um, Bear Creek, totally flooded um a lot of the businesses there are still not opened and it's been several months so obviously that's going to impact the real estate value of the properties around that area and then there'll be certain areas that are certain parts certain pockets of cypress and katie that didn't flood and that will be a sellable feature and of course will through different market forces increase the demand and increase the price now i'm starting to think more about the long term it's kind of weird to think about but I could almost see it where over time, if these forces which you're talking about take hold slowly by, I mean, obviously infrastructure with regard to drainage and all those kind of things is going to have an impact on these things, but almost to the point where poor people unfortunately end up in lower um, valued real estate areas and then richer people end up in uh, higher valued real estate areas and then that kind of has like a an impact on their um, likelihood to experience flooding i mean not necessarily like i'd say like sienna plantation it's a very affluent neighborhood and there was quite a bit of flooding sienna plantation meyerland yeah home prices there 400k plus i was getting one of the homes that i gutted out with crew after the hurricane was probably two three million dollars 
It's a beautiful home, but it was just not sitting up high enough. I think what you'll see is on the homes that were torn down, obviously they'll be built up higher. And I think you'll see a push by the city and local neighborhoods to improve the drainage system, of course, and just monitor that more regularly and make sure the drains are clean. I think that's probably one thing that in the future will take place as well as obviously the way that they release the water from the reservoir. I don't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, So I just think that maybe they next time try a little more of a controlled release. Um, I don't think that they could have anticipated what happened in this city. Really, we couldn't have been prepared for. There's too much rain over a short period of time, and we just can't absorb that much rain the way that the city is currently built. Long term, you think that investment in infrastructure... Infrastructure is, improvements, yep. Now, do you think that will um, increase the quality of our infrastructure as a city? Long term, do you think the impact of, or just even like the mindset of a potential hurricane like Harvey would detract people from other places moving to Houston in the future? To the extent that it will it will impact real estate prices, uh, long term. No, I don't. I think sh- that's in the short term. I think people have decided not to move here or have moved away because of what's happened here in the short term. But I think long term, I don't think so. I, look what's going on in California right now. You know, look at the fires. They have earthquakes there. We're not, I'm not even talking about an earthquake. I'm talking about the fires that are going on, and I think they're out now. But in Northern California. How many homes that wiped out and how many lives were lost there? I think it was like 130 people or something like that. Every place has its natural disaster. And that will be, I think, a reality that will set in in the long term. I think in the short term, obviously, there are people that are scared, especially if they were directly affected. I mean, a lot of, you know, some not a lot, but some people have made the choice to move. And I'm sure that there's others that have made the choice to not move here. How about this? So all this rebuilding taking place, is there going to be... Like when people are shopping and looking for a home to buy, are they going to be like, okay, I want to see the homes, make sure I don't see any Harvey lemons or, or something like that. Uh, right. you, you know what I mean? Oh, well, in the seller's disclosure, you have to disclose that. So, of course, people are going to be looking at that. They always do, no, no matter what. And then there's there's going to be uh, different inspectors like mold inspectors. I would imagine people will be using mold inspectors to check behind the walls to make sure oh, that... Man. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, I saw some houses with mold up like eight feet high. <laughs> right, right. So I think there's definitely going to be, I think the, the buyer, the future buyer in this market is definitely going to be taking more precautions before they end up contracting or making an offer. Yeah. Okay. You think that like there's enough safeguards in place that would at least alert people to not get tricked or at least be surprised by anything that they're buying? You know, I, I think unfortunately... There will always be people that will try to take advantage of others. I think that there are great resources out there, like we talked about earlier, getting with a really good real estate team or agent and a good lender and an inspector and making sure that you're getting good guidance, good wisdom throughout the process. That's the best way you can protect yourself. Okay. So I've mentioned this before, but the, the positive side that I see with respect to the real estate market here in Houston post-Harvey is thinking about what happened to some of Europe after World War II, because there were a lot mm-hmm. of cities that were bombed during World War II. I lived in the Netherlands, and only Rotterdam was bombed there in the Netherlands during World War II, versus Amsterdam and The Hague, where I lived, were not. Amsterdam and The Hague are still very traditional in terms of architecture and infrastructure. You still have all these four-story brick buildings and, in my opinion, archaic-looking buildings and stuff. And then you go to Rotterdam, and it looks like some modern city with skyscrapers and stuff. 
And the reason that is, is because it was destroyed in the war during uh, World War II, and they had to rebuild it. But it, it was kind of like the uh, fertile soil of a forest fire that enables like new plants to grow. And I think about that with all the flooded homes here in Houston, and that they're being gutted, all the flooring and drywall is being taken out, but then new stuff gets put back in, or, or new buildings get built to replace old stuff that gets torn down. And I think in the long term, that, that could actually be great. You're creating the impetus to build new and, and more modern and uh, stronger and better. And I, I think that could add a, a lot of value to the infrastructure of the city as a whole. Right, definitely. I mean, obviously, you never want to wish that type of hurricane we had, but that's going to be a, a positive result is rebuilding. And you're right, the infrastructure will get better. The homes, you know, investors are going in and they're going to gut them out and they're going to rebuild them. A lot of homes will be torn down completely by their original owner and be rebuilt and rebuilt higher and brand new. I'd think about the neighborhood that I live in or the neighborhood right next to mine in Timber Grove. There's a lot of really nice homes there. And then there's homes that are, while nice, are just older. They've just been around for a long time. They were built probably in the 50s. And some of them were flooded. And I would imagine that some of those homes are going to be torn down now and rebuilt up like some of the newer homes that are elevated and are gorgeous, gorgeous homes in that neighborhood. And so you're starting to see some of that. So yeah, definitely uh, one of the silver lining effects of this of this hurricane. So then in concluding thoughts, do you see any big long-term opportunities in the real estate market here because of what's happened? It'll be interesting to see what happens with investors. I think there's a lot of opportunity for investors right now. I think, unfortunately, there's going to be a, a lot of people looking to buy homes from people for much less than they could probably get on the open market, like wholesalers and whatnot. So there's going to be some of that. Definitely from an investor standpoint, good investors, I think, will do well. And then anytime that something like this happens, there's going to be movement in the marketplace. And you know, movement with, with real estate is always positive for the business overall. I guess I forgot to ask, have you seen transaction volume increase or decrease? Transaction volume for uh, September has increased from the previous year. Now, obviously, there's more people coming into Houston, so you would expect something like that. And what you're seeing is different price segments increasing in growth. And anything over 150000 is is experiencing growth from the previous year in the September's months and numbers. Which does make sense, you know, homes are, you're increasing in price now, homes under 150000 are fewer and fewer anyway, but everything over 150000 those segments, all those price segments have increased in the month of September. Now, August was a little bit different, but September, definitely. Okay, so long-term opportunity potentially for investors finding uh, specific opportunities for Rebuilding and uh, getting homes and, yeah, rebuilding them up. And then how about on the flip side, any like long-term things to avoid or, or be watching out for? You know, just make sure that you're, like we kind of talked about earlier, that you're working with someone that pays attention to the details. So if you're not sure if the home is affected or not, make sure you get a mold inspector to just check that out. A good inspector, a good agent, a good lender. I think if you just take the necessary precautions um, and work with the professionals that you'll you'll be in a good position, I would say that... It's important to look at any neighborhood that did flood, just beware that that's going to affect the values. And as a seller, I wouldn't, you got to do what's right for your family. But if you're in an area that was affected and you build up your home, 
and just make sure that it makes financial sense before you do anything. Yeah. When was it that you bought your home? I bought my home in November of 2016. Oh, okay. So way before the storm. So if you were, let's say you didn't own it yet and you were thinking of buying one now, how concerned would you be about floodplain or... Very concerned. Okay. I would, personally, I would buy in an area that didn't flood. And I would get flood insurance regardless. Okay. Oh, uh, I guess on that note, has flood insurance pricing changed at all? I would imagine it has. I know that car insurance has gone up significantly. Flood insurance, I'm not sure. I guess I'm up to renew, so I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine it would, though. Yeah, they've had to spend a lot of money. That's how insurance works. Yeah, yeah. What can you do? Yep. All right, well, uh, that covers what I wanted to address. The big surprise, I guess I would say for me, was what you mentioned about houses in areas that were flooded being listed down 10 or 20%. That's a pretty stark reality. Yeah, I just think the reality of a lot of buyers were saying, did this home flood? Is this, I don't even want to look in an area that flooded. That's kind of one of the first things they say. And so when you are buying an area that did flood, yes, you're going to, you're going to expect to see the value of the home go down in the short term. In time, I believe those values will come back. I mean, it was a one in 500 year storm or one in 800 or something like that. Yeah. But in the short term, yeah, definitely the values will be less. I guess just one little uh, personal finance tip slash plug that I'll make here at the end based on that is that I think it's wise to be running your finances and how you spend your money and then the mortgage that you're taking on for a home in such a way that you're not running paycheck to paycheck and have no savings in the bank. And if anything comes along, like even a wind that blows off a door and then you can't afford it, it breaks the bank, that is a problem. So if the mortgage that you have allows for you to build some savings and then something happens where the house price falls and you have to sell, that you're in less of a desperate financial situation, I I think that gives some safe breathing room, which is prudent. Anyway, thanks again, man, for uh, sharing. Definitely. Hopefully it was helpful. Yeah. Okay. All right. That'll wrap things up for this episode. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or in Google Play by searching The Post Money Plan. Catch us next time on another episode of The Post Money Plan podcast.